uh, I kind of look at one of the major pitfalls of the, of the Western church is that we have educated ourselves beyond our level of obedience. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Today's sermon is shared by church elder Jonathan Morrow. About two months ago, or maybe more, Rick asked me to teach, and I I don't know if it was an asking or telling, but I, I just kind of said, yeah, let's do this. And it was funny because I could kind of say it to Rick, but then, then Michelle <laughs> said the same thing. And I said, that's not going to happen. And Michelle looked at me and said, oh, yes, it will. <laughs> and so it did. And I'm here. And um, just a little bit of background. See, I, I'm not a preacher man. I am a business person. And, and that's kind of where my roots are. That's where, that's where I felt that's my calling. And and then I started to realize that my calling is to be a Christ follower, and he just had me in the business world. And so in, in the business setting, I've had a chance to speak with members of Congress. I've had a chance to push legislation on the state level and the national level. And, and I've even been internationally um, speaking and presenting internationally where we all have these headsets in, and I feel like I'm on the UN, and we're so- talking about really serious stuff, but all we're really talking about is used auto parts. So... <laughs> But I felt really, really important when that was all going down. But, uh, but nothing of that can compare to the responsibility and to the, the burden to just share what God has on my heart. Um, and that's something that I never understood the weight of what this is like until this last week. So, so with that, I'm just going to pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, God, you're a good God. God, you have no rival. You have no equal. You are the beginning and the end. And God, I am humbled to be able to stand in front of my co-laborers and, and just teach and just share what you've laid on my heart. Lord, I just thank you for all the volunteers that every week come here and they just love on the community, love on this church. Lord, I especially just want to just say thank you to the people in the back and the, with the children's area. They selfishly give their time and their energy loving on my kids. And Lord, I pray that through what they can do and what they're doing back there, that God, that you open up my two sons' hearts and you just continue to share the gospel with them and to the rest of the kids in that ministry. Lord, you have ordained this situation, this, this setting, this church before the foundation of the earth. And God, I, I just, I confess that this week I have so much wanted me to just walk off the stage and to be told, oh, you did a good job, but God, I pray that it's not about me and it's all about you. And so Lord, through this time, I pray that I can just be a vessel that just broadcasts your word. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God, um, man, so, so why are we here? So listen, we exist. This church, church exists to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to his great commission. Do you see that right there? That's why we're here. That's why we come here every week. And last week, I just think, was, was an amazing opportunity to understand the full picture of the gospel. See, last week, that changes everything. It has to change everything. See, last week, 
I don't believe you could be here and not feel excited and filled with hope. Because what happened last week, what we talked about last week is the, the pinnacle, the key, the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. And that's the fact that our Savior, our Messiah, rose from the grave. He conquered it on his own. See, that hope we were taught last week is the hope that we should be thinking and praying for and grasping for every single day that we wake up. See, in the early church, the fathers taught over and over again about the resurrection. That was their key message. And in two to three generations, the talk of Greek and Roman like speak was replaced with talk of the resurrection. Think about that. Because it was the most important theme they could think about. It gave them hope. It gave them the, the, the thing to hold on to when things got hard. It was the resurrection. And that same hope that they have, we have today. And, and I want to stress this point. Matt said this last week, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that it's just something that's been reverberating over and over again in my head, and it's this. It's that the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and heaven and hell are real. And guys, that's why we're here today. Because they are real, and those truths give us hope and a passion to teach and share what God has done in our lives. One of the key values that we hold true, and we hold on to it like it's one of our anchors, is that this church believes in the biblical authority. See, the truth for living. And we say that God revealed himself through the scriptures. Therefore, the Bible is our ultimate and sufficient authority for life. So with that being said, I'm going to transition from what we talked about last week, the resurrection, to the next part of that story, according to Luke. And if we go back about 2,000 years ago to the first Easter Sunday, um, I'm going to introduce you to two disciples that were leaving Jerusalem on the way home to Emmaus. So if you could turn with me to Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, and if a lot of you guys have your iPhones, it's just the Bible app and Luke and... 24, yeah. So 24, verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began to travel with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them named Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Mm. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some woman among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had see, also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Hmm. What a story. Uh, at the beginning of the series, Luke, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the series of Luke, Rick had pointed out that Luke was written not as a firsthand, you know, firsthand. He, he went back and, and interviewed eyewitnesses, okay? And, and when he interviewed these eyewitnesses, this was probably when he was attached to Paul and when Paul was imprisoned at Caesarea for a number of years, about two years. And um, I can only imagine that when Luke ran across Cleophas, that he just was like, this is crazy. This, what a cool story. And, and, and he's writing it. And I can almost hear the excitement in the pages of the disciples and of Luke. And so the big idea that I want to start with is this, that only the love of God can open your eyes to Jesus as the one true Messiah. See, only the love of God. It was funny, as I was, as I was kind of obviously just anxious about this, this, this opportunity that God's given me, my wife goes, this is a neat story. I said, yeah, it's definitely a neat story. She goes, it kind of reminds me of a TV show called The Undercover Boss. Now, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that show, but the premise is that he kind of is it, you know, a CEO of a very large company. Um, gets in a disguise, and he kind of goes to the front line of his employees. And during that time, they don't know who he is. I think some of them do. And he interacts with them, and then in the end, he's like, hey, check it out. This is who I am. And then their lives are changed oftentimes. And so this is kind of like the first ever undercover boss. It is, that's just what it is. And um, so I just find that quite interesting. So, but what we know is that it starts here is that these disciples were on their way home from Jerusalem. They were going to Emmaus. And what we know is that these were not famous disciples. We, we don't even know one of their names. And see, this is what I truly love about Jesus. See, immediately following the resurrection, he gave himself with such fullness and disclosure to these unknown, undistinguished men. See, what... What love a Messiah would have to come spend time with common men. 
See, that's the same Messiah that we have today, is that he's, he's seeking out you and I, the people who, who we definitely don't think. I mean, we, we hear stories about, you know, he'll leave the 99 to find the one lost. Like, our Messiah is not about what we think is important. See, there were plenty of figures and other people we would all have agreed with it that would have made more sense. See, if I was Jesus's, you know, promoter, or if I was Jesus, like, hey, man, you just raised up from the, from the grave, you conquered sin and death, and this is what we're going to do to make this point hit at home. You know, we would go probably to the synagogue, and we'd be like, hey, guys, you were wrong, and I fulfilled it. We'd probably go to Pilate and be like, you were close, or Herod, or even to the high priest, the Pharisees, and just say, listen, let's change this, like, let's change it right now. But once again, shows, Jesus takes this opportunity to say that everything that sometimes we in the business mind and in our culture thinks really important, think, that we think is really important, he turns it on its head. And he shows us that relationships and love trumps everything. One of the things that I kept seeing and people that I talked to would, would, would have different opinions on why their eyes were closed to Jesus. And, and the only thing that I can honestly tell you is that they just couldn't see him. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of renditions and, and, and con- things that people believe why they couldn't see him, but all we definitely know for sure is he was there, he was fully man, he was fully God, and they did not know who he was. And, and, and so yesterday, as I'm sitting here, my son comes up and he's like, Dad, you're preaching tomorrow. So the child, he didn't have a child, no. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I saw Matt do it last week, because, you know, the child, he didn't have a child care last week, and he goes, are you going to go as long as him? <laughs> I said, I said, I think I, I need to be somewhere close to that. He goes, okay. So I read the story with him. And, and in the story, he looked at me and he goes, but he, I said, he said, read the story and he goes, Dad, I, I wonder why they couldn't see Jesus. I said, that's a great question. Why couldn't they not see him? And he goes, I probably know why. They needed to wear glasses. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean by glasses? He goes, well, remember last year when we wanted to look at the eclipse, we had to wear special glasses because it was so bright? He goes, he was probably so beautiful they couldn't see him. And, and I just think of, from, from, a, from a kid, right, that is just, just, just beautiful. And so these two men, they're, they're walking along the road to Emmaus, and, and they just, they're talking about Jesus, and, and, they, and they're just talking about this person. And, and I think, I, saw, I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon that hit me when I read the passage. It says, when two saints are talking together, Jesus is likely to come and make the third one. Talk of him and you will soon talk with him. I think of that so often whenever I'm with believers or two people. It's that I start talking about the person, Jesus Christ, and then the next thing you know, I'm talking with Jesus as well. When two or more gathered, he is there. So the story unfolds a little bit more, and Jesus is walking with him, and the first thing Jesus says is Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to ask a question. And see, this is interesting to me because Jesus asked you know, about over 183 questions in the Gospels. And he only answered three. And, and this is key because this is central to his teaching and his ministry. That's the way he taught. But I also think it's quite interesting because in history, we don't understand this being in, in the democracy in which we live in the United States, but in history, I think it's also fair to say that a king doesn't have to answer questions. He asks questions. And he is the king. And see, these answers, the answers to these questions help us to see what it means to follow him and fall more in love with him. If we look at these questions. See, their hope was lost 
Their heads were down, and the cross and suffering was not the Messiah that they thought. See, they had not lost their faith, just their hope. These were common men. They had lost joy and they felt deserted. But see, they still had a desire to talk about Jesus. See, they knew his name, they knew where he was from, they knew he was a prophet. They knew he was mighty in word and deed. They knew he was crucified. They knew he'd promised to redeem Israel. They knew that they had heard other people say that he'd been rose from the dead. And they also knew the importance of the third day. They had heard what Jesus had taught in their heads, but it hadn't gotten to their hearts. The next part is as you transition out to verse 25, it's really quite interesting as it starts to unfold because Jesus begins with a, uh, with a light rebuke. And isn't that not like, evident of Jesus? Like he always kind of comes in and just kind of does a light rebuke of his disciples, kind of a recorrection, if you will. And he says, O foolish men, slow to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken to you. I mean, that would have kind of taken me back a little bit. And see, he begins to do this. He begins to take these two disciples and start peeling back these layers, if you will. And it begins to like start showing that the problem was more in their heart and not their head. See, we often think that the main obstacles to our relationship with Christ is in our head and proving facts. But it actually is with our hearts and understanding him and loving him from there. See, in this scenario, I see that Jesus is, is the perfect example of grace and truth. He's the perfect example of the love and the law. See, he is both. He's not one. He's not the other. That is one of the key components as believers that we should be focused on, is that we need to put ourselves right in the middle of that situation and be just like Christ. Show grace and show truth. And, and as we look back, you know, there's obviously a... Um, the two disciples had a problem. And the problem was that their Messiah, their person that was going to redeem Israel, had to suffer and was crucified. And then they had trouble connecting the dots as to why that was a necessity. They wanted to be uh, taken, they wanted the Roman captivity taken away, and they wanted to be elevated to where they thought they needed to be elevated. And yet the idea of suffering, Jesus stressed, was magnified. And, and, and see, Jesus had taught these things. And they had been, these disciples had been taught suffering from the time they were children because they were taught the Old Testament. So what I, I believe what happened is that Jesus began, and, and if you go to Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was his chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. But then, I believe he could even have gone to Zechariah 12.10 and said, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on, whom, on him whom they have perceived, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. See, Jesus is just like, I can just see him just thinking, 
you have forgotten. It's not sinking in like what you were taught is not connecting the dots. And Jesus moves from this point of talking about suffering to talking an overview of the scriptures that concerned him. And, and, and I could just almost imagine it being something like this. And he would have said this, you know, that the Messiah was, the Messiah was a seed of woman whose heel was bruised, the blessing of Abraham to all the nations, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the man who wrestled with Jacob, the lion of the tribe of Judah, greater than Moses from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, the son of David who was a king greater than David, the suffering savior found in Psalms 22, the good shepherd in Psalms 23, the wisdom of the prophets and the lover of Song of Solomon's, the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. See, these are pictures from the Old Testament that points back to Jesus. When I mention those passage, passages and visions, please, please do this. Please don't take it that I'm proof texting. And, and if you know what proof texting is or you don't know what proof texting is, here's what it is in a nutshell. It's when I take a scripture completely out of context to prove a point. That's not what I'm doing here. What I'm trying to do, but what I'm trying to do is show you that the entire Old Testament, its divine purpose is to converge on the love and the resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points right back to the resurrection. From the time that Adam and Eve stepped foot on this earth to the resurrection, it's all pointing to that point in time. And from that point on, it points back to the resurrection as the hope that we have as Christians. And if you lose fact, point, if you lose anything in the horizon, just realize that it all points back to Jesus. And I think that goes right back to the main, one of the main values I said before, it's the biblical authority that we hold true at this church. And, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking through this process, I'm sitting here, you know, pull back a little bit, I go, man, could you imagine being in that Bible study? I mean, these guys had seven miles to walk with the person of Jesus Christ as a res- in his resurrected form, and he literally unpacked scripture for them for seven hours. I bet they're like, well, obviously their hearts were burning because we've already read the scripture, but I just can imagine them going like, whoa, this guy's really good. Who is this guy? He should not be talking to us right now. He should probably be back in the synagogue. And, and so I'm sitting here realizing this going like, you know, we've got some great small groups in our church, but I bet that would have just been blowing the, you know, obviously have been awesome. <laughs> so, so they get to this, and, and, and this has been unpacked for them, and in the moment, uh, I can just imagine it kind of starting to tail off, and the, the maize is in the, in, the, in the foreground, and they're walking toward it. They're about to get there, and they get, and they get to Emmaus. And, I mean, seven-mile journey, you know, if I run a mile, I'm, I'm hungry, and, and they're hungry, and they've been walking for a while. And so, and so they go to sit down to eat. And, and I do find it quite interesting. If you look at Luke as a whole, it's almost like Jesus is walking to get food, eating food, or he's leaving eating after every time you see him in Scripture. So you just know the guy loved to eat. And that's just special for me too. <laughs> but, uh, but see, Jesus at this point, they get there, and they're about to sit down, and he attempts to leave. Um, and it says that they urged him to stay. And when you start looking at that word urge, what, what I found is that it almost meant like they were clinging to him. Like they wouldn't let him go. They were holding on tight. Um, and, w- and when I see that, and when I hear that, and, and try to look at that visually, 
They still didn't know that he was a person of Jesus Christ, but he had truth, and they didn't want to let go of the truth. And it almost, when I think about it, I almost think about the fact that do I do that to Jesus? Am I clinging onto Jesus and not letting him go? Because they weren't wanting this person to go, and they didn't even know that he was Jesus, but they know that he spoke, spoke of him. They sit down to eat. Jesus stayed. It's kind of funny that the guy you don't really know is now going to break the bread and bless over the food. I find that a little bit odd too, but they let him take the bread. They blessed the bread and he broke it. And he began to serve it. And immediately, man, their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened. And then what does he do? <laughs> he disappears. <laughs> what a downer, you know? But, but I just, I see this and I'm watching this unfold in the scriptures and I'm listening to this in my head over and over again and I'm like, you know, this, this situation is, you know, is, is phenomenal. This was, Jesus was not a ghost. Jesus was eating, right? He was getting ready to eat. Jesus was, was not just a figment of their imagination. He was there walking with them, talking with them. He was in a resurrection body. One of the things, as I was reading this, and uh, I did test this out last week in small groups, so I know it kind of fits. And it was uh, that the, there was a movie that came out when I was in college. It was called The Sixth Sense. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to totally spoil it for you. But there's, the premise of the movie is a little boy and other characters, and then Bruce Willis. Well, the whole movie, I'm just thinking, this is a very awkward interaction. Like, they're always hanging out together, but no one else seems to know what's going on. And the very end of the movie, you realize he's dead. And so the first thing I did is, when I finished the movie, I was like, dude, i got to watch this movie again. And I watched the entire movie again, and I tried to put the parallels, like, how did I not catch that he was dead? How did I not, how did I not see that? And I almost realized that the moment that these men found out that Jesus was who he said he was, they immediately went back to all the scriptures that had ever been taught, and were like, oh my gosh, yes, oh my gosh, yes, this is who he was supposed to be. This is what he was. See, their hearts were burning and this is when I start to get to the core of what I want to say is the very essence of Christianity is to love God with all your heart. And see, they understood this. And they could not escape the desires and passions that are, were welling up inside of them. One of the biggest problems in the church is not the knowledge of Christ, but the fact that we've lost the burning desire and passion for Christ in our hearts. See, Jesus spoke about love, the love he has for us throughout the Gospels. But to focus really keenly on John, he says, John 3.16, we all know it, but just to hear it again in this context, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved these men so much, just like he loves you. John 14.15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 11 through 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Can, can I explain something that I don't even truly understand, but it's called, like in the military sense, it's called the commander's intent. The intent of Christ as our commander in chief, as our king, as our Messiah, is to love. And he's showing his love to these two disciples, to us every day. John 13, 34 through 35, once again, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, you are to love one another, but this 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about that. The reason that we should be able to tell the world who we are and they should see a difference in us is how we love. That's hard. That's, that's, that's to me. It's hard for me to love people. It's hard for me to love people that I'm supposed to love sometimes. And yet God said that is what's going to set us apart in this world is how we love. Now you start thinking about that for a moment and it just starts to rattle the very core of who you are, who you are because I think it goes against so many, so many things of our sinful nature that don't want us to love and don't want us to be divisive and don't want us to be set aside and not together. And then, and then I, go, I go a little step further and I see that in, in the second letter to Theophilus that Luke writes, see, this is the first of two letters that were written by Luke. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayers. All of those things are wildly important, but there's a core thing there that I think is not mentioned, and that is the love. The love they had for each other, love they had for Jesus. It was just radiating in that room. When we realize how much Jesus loves us and that it's the core of the gospel, it leaves us to wonder, how do we love? See, these men, when they saw Jesus and it burned within them, they understood the love in their hearts and their head, and they ran to tell their friends. See, that is what we do with this love. That is what we should be doing with this love. You go on, and now this is what happens. See, this ha- they, they, they realize they saw the person of Jesus, and then he's gone. And then they got up. Remember, it's a seven-mile journey, right? They got up and turned around and left. They went back to Jerusalem. That's what they had in their heart that they had to do, is they had to go tell their best friends what had just happened and what they saw, and to validate what those women had seen and what Peter and John had said that they saw, that the tomb was empty, and I can bet to you that I don't think it was just a friendly jog or walk. I bet it was more like a jog, and I don't know how fast you could run seven miles, but I think it would at least be quicker than a walk. Because they had to proclaim the good news that they were just, was unveiled, uh, uh, it, was, it was unveiled to them. And see, this is, and this is something that I'm reading to this, and I'm going, like, you know, it's, it's awesome how when you read Scripture and you start to meditate in Scripture, you realize that this isn't an isolated event. This isn't like that one time like there was a burning desire and they wanted to tell their friends. I, I, I went back and I started thinking, I was like, man, in John 1, 43 through 48, Jesus is calling his disciples, and as he's calling his disciples, he calls Philip, right? So Philip at that point goes, wow, you're the Messiah. This is, this is, this is a good thing. And, and what I would want to do in, in my, my, is like just hang out with him, not leave. But when that burning desire in Philip's heart was overwhelming, what did he do? He got up and ran to his best friend. He ran to Nathanael and said, you've got to hear what I have to tell you. And he said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. We found him. You've got to come see him. We found him. You've got to come see him. But then in John 4, 1 through 40 is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and this story is just one where Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan woman, someone who has no friends. She's in the middle of the day getting water, and, and he inter- starts having a conversation with her. That is, we could spend, I know Rick has spent time speaking about that. That is a massive thing that just in this, the context that Jesus is speaking with a Samaritan woman, and he tells her the truth. He sh- tells her truth, and he tells her grace. He tells her, he shows her love, and he shows her the law. And in that, 
she is blown away. And it says that, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? She had that burning sensation in her heart. She went to go get people. And guess what, guys? Philip, Nathaniel was his best bud. This lady didn't have friends. She went to people who didn't want to have anything to do with her and said, you got to hear what this guy did. See, the love of Jesus causes our hearts to burn for his desires, and that is to love others the way that he has loved us. These disciples were shown the love of God and experienced his love, and immediately they had to share it. The essence of Christianity is to love God with all your heart and mind, and this experience with Christ is nothing that they wanted to keep to themselves. Uh, I kind of look at one of the major pitfalls of of the Western church is that we have educated ourselves beyond our level of obedience. We love Bible studies and lectures, but creating disciples has almost become a lost art. And it kind of goes completely opposite of what Christ taught. Knowing and understanding the things of the Scripture are not bad. It's not. That's what we should be doing on a constant basis. But when we don't move on that, what does that say? Are we disobeying what our commander told us to do. See, it's not just the preachers that change the world. Relationships like Jesus had with these two men are what changed the world. Don't come to church and think this is the only thing that changes anything. What we do in our small groups, what we do in our workplaces, what we do in our play dates, what we do in the community, and what we do in the school are what changes the world. See, God wired us for relationships. We are designed to be in relationship with people. We are not designed to go home and shut our doors and not talk about the good news we have. See, I think that the ultimate goal, like Christ said, is that for our neighbors to know that we are his disciples by how we love our Savior, how we love each other, and how we love our community. That's what sets us apart. That was the only thing that was supposed to set us apart, is how we love And this is why it's so important at Ladysmith that we have one of our core values is also called the mission mandate. See, it doesn't stop in this church building, and we know that. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Church elder Jonathan Morrow will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to his great commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website, spotswoodls.org, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, SpotswoodLS. Now, here's Jonathan with the conclusion to this week's sermon. See, every believer is commanded to partner in the Great Commission, and we are empowered. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit for everyday mission. See, these two men, because of their love and burning desire for Christ, could not keep it bottled up. They had to share the good news about my resurrected Savior. And, and I think that, that's, that's where I come to this, this, big, this big question that I want to talk to you guys about. And that's, what would be different in your life if you had a burning desire for Christ? What would be different? I mean, for me, I fail this every day. This isn't like I'm just preaching to you guys. I'm preaching to myself. I mean, the love that Christ showed to these men 
on this road to Emmaus, I have trouble showing to my family on a daily basis. If the burning desire in my life was, was where it should be, then I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I want to share with the world in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the hope that I have and the hope that I should want to share with the world. I actually don't want to ask my neighbors if they know who I am by my love because I don't think I'd like the answer. So what would be different about my life? A lot of things. And I think that's one of the things that I want to make sure I ask you guys and I want you to think about, like, what would it be like? In just a couple minutes after the prayer, the um, front's going to be open. God is moving in your heart, please come front. Come down front. And if you want people to pray with, we're going to have couples up here that would love to pray with you. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, I'm just humbled to be in the presence of my fellow believers and be able to spend some time just talking about your word. God, I pray that the word that we read, the word that you've given to us, we understand that it, will, it has the power to change souls. It has the power to turn death, dead things to life. It has the power to radically change this world. Lord, you have put the people in, this, in the audience today for a reason. God, your word, we are told that your word will go out and not come back void. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.